Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that we have this hard-hitting, true, hopeful word. We are grateful. In your name we pray. Amen. So this morning we are continuing our series through the book of James. We are this week starting to dig into chapter 3. Talking about this call of James as he writes to the early church about the call to be a people that live our faith in action. Earlier he says, don't really listen to the words and deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And last week Pastor Doug talked about how James so interestingly, paradoxically, kind of connects, helps us understand the relationship between faith and works and how we are to be a people. We are to be a people where our faith stirs something up us and us and naturally brings us to act out, to put our faith in action. As I was looking at this and reading this passage, and looking at kind of the highs and the lows of this passage, I was just struck with, in this passage, it seems to me that James is feeling all sorts of feels. I see him just looking at the church. It says that he's talking to, it seems to be that he's talking to the leaders or, or the people that, that others have trusted to, to, to speak and teach in the church. And he's, it opens up by telling them, you got this great responsibility. Reminds me of Spider-Man, when it says with great power comes great responsibility, or Winston Churchill says, it, says that too, or Teddy Roosevelt, they all kind of say the same thing, a very famous saying. And he seems to be talking to leaders, teachers in the church, and telling them, you, there's so much potential. There's so much potential in you, and yet I see so much pain. there's also so much hope. It seems to me that he's kind of taking us on this trajectory, this story. I felt that this week. Last week, got, had a great church service, got home, got to watch my 49ers play. Our quarterback of the future, Trey Lance, dual threat option, right? If you're a 49er fan or a football fan, if you're not, I'm sorry. Just suffer through this with me. And we're so excited for the, the future, for this, this, this quarterback who could run and throw and, and who just goes. And, and, and there's so much potential for the 49ers this year. There's so much. He could throw it a mile. He can run fast. He's strong. And I'm watching it. We're five quarters into the season, and you know what happens? He breaks his ankle. Just your pit of your stomach. At least for me, you just feel so bad for him. He's out for the season. It's like all is lost. But is all lost, 49er fan? No, because we have Jimmy G, right? He's going to lead us to the Super Bowl. It seems to me there's kind of something happening here. Stay with me. But it seems to me that, that, that Paul or James is writing to the church and he's telling them there's so much potential here. But what's interesting is when he's talking about potential, he's not talking about how far they can throw a football. He's not even talking about all the things that they could do or, or all of the stuff that they have. 
He is talking about the potential in their words. The potential of their tongue. And he's writing to them and he's saying, I see so much potential and so much pain and yet there's also so much hope. So today, as we look at this passage, we're going to be digging into this and kind of breaking down this idea of the potential, the pain, and the hope of our words. The potential, the pain, and the hope of our words. And it seems to me, as we're looking at this text, that that James, as he's writing to the church, first, he wants you to know about the potential. He wants you to know about the potential. And the potential of the words that we speak And in particular, he is writing in this context to teachers and leaders. So the potential that for the people that trust you, for the people that look to you for guidance, for parents as they speak to their children, for for pastors as they or elders or or Bible study leaders or or teachers or 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 bosses as they speak to their employees, he's he's writing from this place of power about the potential of the words that we speak down. So it seems to me here, he's talking about the guiding power of your position. There's this, this position, this great responsibility, right? With great power comes great responsibility. And when you speak from a position of power, from a position of someone saying the words that you're gonna say to me, they, they have authority in me, I'm going to make decisions in my life, I'm going to, to live in a certain way, it's going to affect me that, that there's this guiding power of the words that we speak to those that are listening. Look at what he says here in verses one through five. Let's walk through this as we look at this guiding power. It says this. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. He seems to be talking to the leaders of the church here, elders and teachers. For you know that we who teach will be judged judged with greater strictness, right? Spider-Man, great power, great responsibility. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, He is a perfect man. We'll come back to this later on. Being perfect. Able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. So now James is starting to use this illustration to help us understand what it means, to, to the, the potential in us, the words that we use can guide. And he uses this illustration of a bit in the mouth of a horse. Now, I don't know how this works. I haven't ridden horses. But from what I understand is this small little bit in a horse, horse's mouth or in an animal's mouth, it can guide and direct as they're tamed. This giant, powerful animal can be guided their entire body by this small little bit. If you're, if, you're, if you're not one to ride horses or understand this, he, he goes on. He says, look at the ships also. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder. Wherever the will of the pilot directs, so also the, to- the tongue 
is a small member, yet it boasts of great the things that we say, the, the, the things coming out of our mouths, even though it's just a small part of our body, it can be such a guide to those around us. And so we see this great potential here. We feel this great potential as James is writing to the church. We think, man, Imagine if, if this is true, if the words that we speak can really be a guide, if, if the Lord can speak into us by his spirit and really guide us, imagine what could happen. But James also is observing when this great guide is unchecked. Because he sees the potential, seems to me also he feels and sees the pain pain of the tongue in the church, of the words that are being spoken, of the behaviors that are happening because of these words. Look at what he says here. We see all this potential, and then he kind of shifts the emphasis here. He says, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, right? Just a simple spark. How many times have we heard of this, right? flicking a cigarette out, out, out the car on the freeway and it catches fire and all of a sudden we have this incredible wildfire that takes over, ravishes so much. And the tongue is a fire, it's a world of unrighteousness. Oh man, it's starting to kind of get some momentum here. Start, as you start to see the negative side of what the tongue can do. He says this, the tongue is set among our members. It's straining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. Seems to be that words are starting to spread. This could be gossip. could be slander. This could be pride and ego and puffed upness. We, we don't know. He doesn't say this, but it seems to be that the tongue is not being controlled, it's not being tamed in the church. He says, for every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly, if you have your Bibles or you like to write in them, I would just circle poison. Is there something about our inability to control our words, to control our tongues? Something poisonous about it. And he breaks it down. He says, with it we bless our Lord and Father. We sing songs like, be thou my vision. We, we pray together. We praise God. We do that. And then with it we also curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Ooh, man. Once again, good old James with his throat punches, right? How many times have we been a part of faith community and been a part of a worship service and then maybe on the drive home someone cuts you off in traffic? Maybe afterwards our children, your children, my kids are all perfect, <laughs> but maybe they have 
kind of just gotten under your skin and you've lashed out in anger and said something that was hurtful or mean. Because with it we bless our Lord and Father and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. We see this blessing and curse narrative. We know James knew the Torah. We know he knew that the people of God have always had this story of blessing and curse. All the way back to Abraham when, when God shows up to Abraham and makes these promises to Abraham and he says, you will be a blessing. And those who bless you will be blessed and those who curse you will be cursed. And so it seems to be there's this hypocrisy happening in the church where the words that we're speaking are not matching the works that we're doing. Where the tone and the behavior of our words are not reflecting what should be the source that comes out. He goes on, he says, for the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, look at this, feel this. He says, these things ought not to be so. It shouldn't be like this. We are a people of God. We are a people who believe that Jesus has changed everything. We are a people who believe that God has done something in us. There should not be this kind of words coming out of our mouth, these truths, these misguided directions. Does, does a spring pour forth the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Do you see this? He's saying there's so much potential. There's so much potential, but there's so much pain. This should not be, church. This should not be, friend. And it seems to be here. James is really getting at this point as we think about words and we recognize there's so much potential in me, but if I'm honest, oftentimes uh, I do, I can't control my tongue. One of my favorite comedians, a guy named Brian Regan, talks about this. Talks about how you ever had that moment where like, you're just like, oh no, words are coming out, right? And, and you have this, this, this point where, where you just say things and you wish you could take them back, but you can't. Like, when's the baby due? shouldn't always just say that to people. You should be careful who you say that to. You should be sure that there's a baby due. But it seems to me that in this passage, I don't think this James is talking about like foot-in-your-mouth moments. I think he's talking about when there seems to be something wrong with your heart. And the source of your heart is you're not actually making a mistake. You are, are speaking from a place of selfish ambition or vain conceit or, or there seems to be something wrong as you check yourself about the words that are coming out. And it's not accidental. But there seems to be something in you. I had this happen. As I, this always happens to me. I get to preach these messages and then God kind of stirs up in me. I actually had to send a text message to a dear brother this week. We had been having a great conversation on some theological things, and we were talking about different things, and at one point, um, I said this. I don't care what you think. That's what I said. And I didn't mean like I don't care what you think. Uh, we were trying to talk about like the scriptures and, and being sure that we're 
but, but it, it came off in this personal, I, I, just felt, I just felt the Lord working on me, saying, Lord, Logan, like, that's not how you should talk to each other. Like, you do care what each other thinks, right? And, and can't you attest to this? There's been times when maybe out of, out of your mouth you've said things, maybe for your own glory, maybe for your own puffing yourself up but putting someone else down, or maybe you, there's, this, there's this juicy, like, gossip that you've heard that you need to share with someone. Or maybe, maybe by, by, by saying, oh man, can you believe that this happened, this slander about someone, and, and, and it, it seems to be this poison. It's like this poison that happens, and James is getting after it, and he's, he's talking about all this potential. He says, but there's so much pain, it seems to be that there's this, this poison that's in us. And it's, it's a spreading poison from your heart. It's a spreading poison from deep within our heart. There seems to be something going on in the, in the faith community that, 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 is, that, is, that is not reaching its full potential. I think we can all relate to this in some way. We've all had moments where we've thought, oh man, the Lord convicts us. Maybe even right now he's convicting you. I've missed it. I have the incredible potential to speak life, to say kind things, to, to, to bring inspiration, and instead I, I was a voice of discouragement. I was a voice of slander. I was a voice of gossip. I was a voice of pride, arrogance. It seems to me that James is writing to the church, as he's writing to the leaders of the Jerusalem church that are, that are supposed to be leading the church, and he's saying, you, you're getting it twisted, there's something going on in your heart, you need to check yourselves. But what I love here as I read this is there's so much potential, and there's so much pain, but there's also so much hope. Because James does something here that is so profound. As we talk about wisdom, he says, listen, you need wisdom from above. And, he, and he's, as he's talking about this, and he's talking to you, and he's talking to me, he says, the problem here is that we are looking for wisdom from within. We are looking for wisdom of this earth, but we need wisdom that is from above. See, there's this hope here. And the hope is this. As we together struggle with our words, as we together struggle with taming our tongues, as we think about this and wrestle with this, the hope is this. There is a transforming antidote from heaven. Yes, there is a poison in the heart, but there is a transforming antidote from heaven. There is an antidote for the heart problem. There is an antidote for the poison that James is talking about that is spreading among us. Look at what he says here. Look at the journey he's taking, a, taking us through here in verse 13. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? He's using rhetoric, rhetoric. He's asking a rhetorical question. Are any of you wise? Are any of you understanding? Here's how you'll know. <clears throat> By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Remember chapter two? Faith and works. Humility. Meekness. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. 
Remember, we're checking our hearts as we think about our words. He's saying, as you look at your hearts and you're feeling this, this jealousy or you're feeling this selfish ambition, you're feeling like really the words that I'm speaking, they're about me. They're about wanting. He says this. This is not the wisdom that comes from above. but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. There's this other spiritual realm that's happening that is speaking lies that wants us to be me-focused, ego-driven, pride-driven. Seems to be this theme in here. But look at the hope. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, this can happen. There will be disorder in every vile practice. It'll grow out of this, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, then gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Do you see the hope here? We feel the pain. If you're with me, you feel it in your own home and in your own heart. You feel it, but we also see this antidote. We also see James seems to be alluding to there's something in the people of God that should be different. There's something about the Spirit of God that is promised to indwell in God's people that should guide us into these kinds of truths. Commentators say this seems to be this list of the attributes of wisdom from above. They they, they are mirror images. They seem to reflect also in Paul when he writes of the fruits of the Spirit. Have you read this in Galatians? Because the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Some commentators will say when James writes of wisdom, that seems to be his take on the Spirit of God himself. That the fruits of the Spirit of God living within his people, as we say no to our flesh and yes to the Spirit, it causes us to be people of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. It causes us to be people of meekness. It causes us to be people of the kingdom where Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. It seems to be, as we think about this, that once again, as we talk about verbatim all the time, Jesus changes everything in us. We aren't a people with a poison heart. We are a people of the antidote. And I love something that happens in the scriptures. I believe James is speaking of his half-brother Jesus as he's talking about this idea. I, I couldn't get away And I kept circling and thinking, what does he mean when he says wisdom from above? Earlier in chapter one, he tells us to ask God for wisdom and he will give it. If you remember back in the summer, we talked about Proverbs and and wisdom personified. There seems to be a person who, who, who reflects and is wisdom personified. It seems to me that as we look at this, as we think about what does it mean to have this antidote? What does it mean for us as a people of God to truly live with wisdoms, to let our words be words that are speaking life into people? How do we live in this? 
We find it in the person of Jesus. We find it in the gospel. If you have your Bibles, turn real quickly. I don't have time to really dig in too deeply, but I want to focus real quickly on an interaction that Jesus has with a guy named Nicodemus. It says that Nicodemus shows up in the middle of the night and he has these questions for Jesus. And in John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus answers him about these questions. He says this, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless he's born again, unless the Lord does something where he is completely changed, is, is totally transformed, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Verses 12 through 15, he says, If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Remember James? James says wisdom is wisdom that comes from above. It's something that is outside of you. It's not within you. It's not just, hey, trust your heart. Follow, follow your, your desires. Scratch every itch. Just be you. No. James says very differently. James is telling you and me that we need wisdom that is outside of us. We need wisdom from God to come into us and to change everything. And look at what Jesus says. He says, there's these earthly things that I'm telling you and you do not believe. And then Jesus is telling Nicodemus, I have heavenly things to tell you. You see what he's doing here? Keep going. It says, no one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Jesus is saying, I believe here, I am the wisdom from above. I am the one who comes down. He says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, this is the time when this serpent is lifted up and the people look at it and they are healed, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. He's talking about the cross. Christ our Lord is talking about wisdom from above and the way that we can have healing, the way that we can have the antidote for our sin, the antidote for the poison is through him taking it on the cross. That whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And then he gets into the famous verse in verse 16. It's not on the screen, but what does it say? For God so loved the world that he gave what? His one and only son. And whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son from heaven to us into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Just right after this, he has a conversation with John the Baptist. And John the Baptist says he sees heaven, and John the Baptist literally says in verse 31, he who comes from, a, from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from above is above all. He's, there's these declarations in John that Jesus is the wisdom from above. So as we ask this question, how can I put my faith in action? Pastor Logan, how can I do better with my words? How can I stop putting my foot in my mouth or speaking from this selfish desire and vain conceit? How can I make it about Jesus? How can I, how can I do this? How can I earn this? How can I do this? You can't. Jesus did. And Jesus does. 
So as we think about this, brothers and sisters, as we ask ourselves to live with faith in actions, look at Jesus. Learn from Jesus. Love like Jesus. Listen to Jesus. Let Jesus do his work in you. And I believe with all my heart, you will start to see faith in action. He will stir in you. He will speak in you. And as we think about what it means to look at Jesus, look no other than look at Isaiah 53. Look at this, look at this prophecy about the Messiah, about the one who was to come from heaven, God himself. And as we think about words, as we think about that moment when like, I, I, I just gotta say something. I need, to, I need to win this argument. I need to win this conversation. I need to correct this this bad theology. I need to correct this bad attitude. I need to make sure people know that I know my stuff. As we think about that in the church, look at Christ's example to us. But he was pierced for what? Our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us what? Peace. What did we talk about earlier at the end of James? That we are a people of peace. Shalom. And by his wounds, we are what? Healed. All we like, street, like sheep have gone astray. Tony alluded that in our gospel welcome. We all have that poison. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him, on Christ, the iniquity of us all. He who knew no sin became sin so that we could become children of God. Look at this now. As we think about Jesus and his words, it says, he was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. As we look at Jesus, as we ask ourselves, what does it look like to be people of the king, to be people of the cross, this is our example, beloved. This is your example. Sinclair Ferguson wrote about this. It's, it's, it's a lengthy quote, but I just love the way that he connects this beautiful truth to you and I as we navigate taming the tongue. Look at what he says. He says, he, Jesus, was silent because of every word that has proceeded from your lips because of every word that provides adequate reason for God to damn you for all eternity because you have cursed him for his image. Ouch. It says, the Lord Jesus came in, into the world to bear the judgment of God against the sin of our tongues. When he stood before the high priest in the judgment seat of Pontius Pilate, he accepted a sentence of guilt. But that was my guilt. He bore in his body on the tree the sins of my lips and my tongue. Do you wish you could control your tongue better? Do you want to follow the example of Jesus? Then you need to understand that he is what? Savior first. And then he is example. You need to come conscious of the sin on your lips and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I thank you that Jesus came and was silent in order that he might bear the penalty of all my misuse, 
my tongue. This is what it means to be a people of the king. And so as we ask our question, how do we tame the tongue? I believe when James says, be perfect, therefore, he's saying that in faith of Christ and what he does in his people of the justification of the righteousness that goes on us because of the way that he took our sins. You understand this? So as we ask this question, if Jesus does change everything, if we believe that all who confess and say, I believe in Jesus, he starts to do his changing work in our hearts. Not only are we justified, we are in this sanctifying process of him doing things in our lives, of revealing the ways that he wants to conform us more and more into his likeness. And so as you think about this, I got three words for you this week. First, check yourself. Do a little heart check. Examine your heart. Think about your week. Maybe the Lord will convict you of some of the words that you've said, some of the actions that you've taken. As you think about your words, remember what James says in James 1.19. He says, know this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. I think we could all attest, if you think about the wisest people you know, they're oftentimes some of the quietest people you know. Right, have you ever been in a Bible study or a group or, or, or and then they're having this conversation and there's, there's the guys like Pastor Logan who just can never shut up. But then, but then someone speaks and they've been kind of thinking and they've been listening and they've been, they've been actually caring about other people's lenses and their perspectives and then they speak and everybody kind of is silent and they listen. That's because they've experienced some of this wisdom from above. And before speaking, they actually care about what other people say and feel. They're asking the Spirit, Lord, I recognize that I have my own flesh, and they're, they're testing it, and they're saying, should, is this from you? Is this something you would have me say? Is this godly? Is this, is this, does this follow in the fruits of the Spirit? Or am I checking my own ego and my own pride? Is this about you or about me? I would say, check yourself. But also, it can be easy to read this text and for us just to be like, maybe we should all just take a vow of silence. Maybe it would be better if like none of us ever talked. This is not the message of James. He doesn't say everyone should be slow to speak, quick to listen. Actually, he doesn't say everyone should not speak. There is a speaking involved. And remember the beginning, we talked about there is so much potential in you, brother and sister, in the words that you speak. So when, as you think about the words that you speak, speak life. Speak Jesus, speak hope, speak power, speak encouragement into those around you. One of my greatest pictures of this is my daughter Ruth. So fun, she's starting to grow and she's starting to develop into just this fun little lady. Yeah, just last week, we were, I always have a hard time getting my kids to stay for both services, and so we were going for the second service, and, and I'm talking to Ruth, and, and I say, all right, Ruth, um, how about this? You go to groups for second service, and, and maybe we can get McDonald's afterwards. She puts her hands on and says, you got a deal. 
She made me shake on it. This last week, my beautiful bride, Brianna, got a haircut. Incredible. And as Ruth is walking off the bus, she sees Mommy. She says, Mommy, you look so beautiful. And Brianna says, kind of, kind of, Brianna kind of like says, oh, thank you. She says, no, Mommy, I really mean it. How many times do we just need to be a people that speak life like that? How many times do we not think about this, the incredible potential and power of our words? I remember back in college, as I was working at Target in the back room, I loved the job, and my youth pastor, he pulled me aside one day and said, Logan, I want to talk to you. And he told me about some things that he saw in me that I didn't see in me. He told me about some of the things that he felt that I needed to know, and that little conversation led me to be an intern, and I believe led me to the place that I am today in ministry as a pastor because I had a youth pastor who spoke life into me and saw things that I didn't see. There's so many stories of people who have had people who, mentors or other voices in their life, football coaches, uh, other people, parents, grandparents, uh, bosses who have said, I see something, and they're not just speaking just, just to make them feel good. They're truly full of the Spirit, and, the God, and God is giving them words for the faith community. Let's be a people that check ourselves and that speak life into each other. Let's be parents that speak life into our children, that tell them the things that we see, that catch them doing the good things, that catch them being kind and courageous, that, that, that celebrate the things that they're doing. Let's be a family of God that speak and act from the law that brings liberty. I love James 2, verse 12. He says, so speak and so act. I love the way he talks about words and actions as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Law of liberty, this is a beautiful paradox. Law tends to be restricting, right? Liberty is freedom. So being a people of grace, we live in the law of liberty, people of grace, and we speak life. So church, let's check ourselves, let's speak life, and finally, prepare your heart for heaven's harvest. Prepare for heaven's hardness. Heaven, heaven's harvest. Look at what it says in verse 17 and 18 again. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness. When James is talking about a harvest of, of righteousness, he's talking about the works that are gonna grow out of it. He's talking about doing righteousness. He's talking about justice. He's talking about the people of God starting to make an incredible difference in their faith community because of what Christ has done in their hearts. And it says, is sown in peace by those who make peace. Could we just imagine, as we listen to James, could we just imagine together what it would look like for us to be a people that live this out, that speak life into each other, that listen to the Spirit of God, that believe that we are not a people with poison in our hearts, we are a people with Christ in our hearts. 
close with this wonderful hope from Isaiah 32, 17 says, and the effect of righteousness will be peace. And the result of righteousness, quietness, and trust forever. May this be true for you. May this be true for me. You pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for these challenging words from James. Thank you, Lord, that you are a God. When you look at us, you see so much potential. And God, we also confess that there's so much pain. We confess there's been times when we have said words, we have said things, we have not guided well, we, we have not been people that have truly embraced this, but Lord, we are so grateful that you are the God of grace and forgiveness, that you are the God who takes all of our mess-ups, all of our hurts, all of our habits, all of our hang-ups, all of our struggles, and you turn them into something beautiful, and you draw us into being a people of righteousness. So I pray, Lord, as we reflect on this, for one, I just pray for anybody here that maybe just hasn't, just turn their life over to you. I pray over to you. I pray right now in this moment, they would just say, I believe, and they would believe in you, and they would start this wonderful, beautiful process of growing in you. And I pray, Lord, just for all of us here, God, that right now in this moment, we would take, we wouldn't take lightly James' words when he says, don't really listen to the word and deceive yourselves, do what it says, that right now, God, we would just take a, an inventory and then we would write down, here, here's one way that, that I believe God is speaking to me today. One thing that because of, of Jesus, because of his grace, I feel called to do and speak. And, and may we walk out with this incredible, tender comfort that we are a people of the kingdom. So have your way as we look and as we sing of your evidence, God, I pray that you would continue to reveal yourself in mighty ways here at Cornerstone. Have your way, Lord, in the name we pray. Amen.